single Saturday on these airwaves. Ah, don't you love that music? That's for you, Marilyn. My name's Casey Steed, the voice of your valley on Merced's News Talk. 107.3 FM, 1480 AM. It's Saturday, December 7th, the 78th anniversary of the attack on Pearl Harbor. And I think it's, uh, what, about the 72-hour anniversary since there was another attack over there, unfortunately, where lives were lost in a terrible incident. Never forget, never forget. We were interviewing Scott McBride, Director of Development Services in the city of Merced, and Principal Planner Michael Wren. In the first hour of Citizen Watch, and, you know, we just ran long. It's so much fun in here in Studio C. Hopefully we'll get some more guests in from different areas. And Scott and Michael are always uh, obviously invited back because they were a really good interview. And we're going to continue that in this bonus half hour of Citizen Watch on Saturday morning. Hopefully you can attend the Merced Christmas Parade later today. Starts at 3 o'clock. Going to light the tree down in Bob Hart Square. Anyway, we'll see you next weekend with new comments, uh, new content, rather, excuse me, and comment. So much to talk about that happened in the news. Uh, but anyway, these two guests were really good, so here we go. I mean, I, th- I think one of the biggest changing factors in this community is going to be Campus Parkway. Yes. There's no doubt about it. Mm-hmm. That's going to dramatically change traffic flow, move people from the freeway to UC to North Merced. It creates a whole new avenue there, as we're going to see for development. It is truly a, a, changing, a changing force for the community. Excuse me. Well, you know, when you talk about traffic, and I've noticed a real increase here since uh, the UC uh, students have got back in, but... When Campus Parkway hits Yosemite down there, the idea is uh, the folks are going to continue what down Lake Road to get to the campus. Yeah. So for for the time being, when it's completed, it, it will it will stop at Yosemite, and there'll be a, a turn to tie into Lake Road. And so then to get into town, I guess the natural thing would be to come on down Yosemite to G or M or McKee or whatever. How do you feel? Do you think we'll ever see the bridge across Parsons? Oh, it's in the general plan. I don't know if it's ever going to be done, but it's in the general plan. Do you think that's something that needs to be done, Scott? I don't have an opinion on it. <laughs> a smart man, because I have a lot of listeners that live over there. Casey, and every I, time I, I, I bring say up this. Parsons, if, they, if, they come unglued, man. If, they, if the intent is to get rid of it, then they should modify the general plan. And if you do that, you need to do a traffic analysis to figure out because that bridge is modeled for the future growth. Yes. If you pull it out, then what do you do to mitigate for it? That's it's my point exactly to the residents that always tell me, we don't want it. I say, well, it's in the general plan. And you got to get it out of the general plan, out of the traffic plan. It's a major arterial. Without a bridge and a tide of 99 and up over the tracks, I don't really see how it becomes that. I see McKee. Even McKee was difficult with the Bradley overpass. But I think Campus Parkway is kind of the way out now, but it's so far down there. It's just what do you do when you get further into town? Right. So you just, it's a problem. You don't really have an opinion on it. And uh, if they want to change, they need to change the general plan. I I think the one thing that we see, because we deal with it a lot, is there's many projects we work on that have some component of general plan change involved in it. Yeah. And that's not a bad thing. That's perfectly fine. But you have to understand, if you're changing it, what does it do what, what do you have to do to mitigate for the change, right? Well, yeah. well like like your project at, at Yosemite and G, that included a general plan amendment, correct? Yes, it did. There's a general plan amendment to allow it to turn to neighborhood commercial. Right. But, you know, it's, yeah, to me, that's, I see the people over there, what they're complaining about is their driveways back on. And, you know, I, I, would, I would say this. So so we talked about objective standards. We talked about yes. the findings, yes. the four findings. The one thing that I think people community-wise miss out on is that the really important things to have a say in are your zoning code update and your general plan update. And the reason why people maybe don't participate in those as much is because they don't think they affect them. Uh-huh. Because there's some big, you know, big uh, abstract thing. 
but the implementation of those becomes a thing next to me. Right. And really, a lot of the standards that they have issues over are set forward in those other documents. They've already been kind of concluded that this is how things will happen. Uh-huh. And that's where I think a lot of attention is going to have to focus in the future on what do we really want in these large documents. Because if you look at our zoning code, it's really like a checkbox. Like Michael said, it's a checkbox. Right. I had a commissioner ask me, well, uh, did the commission approve this project at 13th and K Street, this 50-year yes. affordable housing project? And we're like, we're like, it's a good question. The reality is, no, you didn't have to because it's a by-right use in that zone. Mm-hmm. And one of the things the state is basically saying is that if you have by right use in a zone, you can't create more hurdles to impede a project. And that's, that's right. kind of what we're talking about. Exactly what forward. we're talking about. If you know how to build a wall, it doesn't fall down, it meets the codes, right. you have a right to build it as long as the zoning is there. Well, let's talk about Michael's favorite subject, marijuana distributors. Cannabis, we prefer. Let's and talk a, about and it. what a thousand feet is, not 996. <laughs> and what a school is. Boy, they came out of the woodwork. Were you surprised to see Dr. Gomes up there? Uh, uh, I wasn't surprised <laughs> to see anyone. I'm, I think this was a, a process that people were going to want to be engaged in at some level. So I guarantee I you number five was, because if I would have been the fifth one out, I would have been pretty upset. And I think that's kind of what happened. And even what number seven was throwing some rocks in there one day. But the bottom line is we've allowed, what, five now, Michael? Five dispensaries. Five dispensaries. Permitted. 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 Two are operational. Do you think that's going to increase? I think the city council will eventually need to take stock of what's happened in the industry, and I think they'll be able to determine whether or not it's something that needs to stay limited. I think there were some very good reasons that the city council had for the way we proceeded with a limited uh, rollout of cannabis dispensaries. Um, By the other coin, the other non-dispensary uses like... uh, um, cultivation distribution those don't have limits on number of that uh, number of businesses that can go in and we have a lot of those too don't we we have about 10 uh, approved applications for them none of them have started operations yet so. really now that's interesting because I knew we had a lot of uh, applications like you say there were some existing uh, facilities displaced that were upset about their displacement but again market forces so how do, you, how do you feel, do you, do you think, because Fresno, they've allowed two per district, per council district, mm-hmm. and be, we basically have not even one. So you have any personal opinion or you don't want to go on that list? Well, I think before Michael gets to that, I think, I think the one thing that we would have a challenge if we were to go to that model is the, the sensitive uses. There are some uh, districts. Like schools, you mean? Schools, parks, the things that you can't be close to. Yeah, so if we were to try to do that, it may effectively not really work because there are some districts that are predominantly residential that don't have the facilities anyway. And then you have other sensitive uses. So um, I, I don't know that we ever thought about trying to specifically locate uh, you know these uses in, in the districts. District. It would have been, it would have proven very challenging. Well, you know how districts are; they want their economic driver. You know, in my district, well, talk, Michael, about the process. That had to be challenging. Twenty some applicants. Yes, it was. They all had to have a building ready to go. Correct. I mean, the things they had to jump through, and there wasn't even any guarantee for twenty four of them or whatever. How would I mean? You had to feel some pressure, huh? I felt a lot of pressure. Um, I think there was actually a lot of pressure on on Scott as well. He was one of the the people that, that worked with that extensively alongside me. Um, the decision making process was not easy, but we did come up with through the council a very detailed checklist of what the the merit based criteria were. This was not entirely. Um, 
what's what's the word I'm looking subjective? for? Subjective. Thank you. No. There were a lot of objective standards that we put together. But some of it wasn't was wasn't it like the community involvement? What there they were, were going to give back? Yeah, community benefits. Right. There were certain elements that uh, a small group of um, of our some of our most uh, trusted personnel were put together. Uh, the, the chief of police, the uh, city manager, and the director of development services um, awarded some discretionary points for those community benefits and some and stuff like that. But we did have most of the the points it was a hundred point list and i believe somewhere in the vicinity of 80 points were all does it meet this or does it meet that yes no high low medium whatever the whatever it was we had objective standards that they could meet and they could know going in what it was we had a rubric for them we handed out the rubric so you could know basically what your score was going to be if you were honest with yourself about what your business brought to the community how about uh, interaction with these applicants was that did you purposely have to kind of limit it or did you have an open door any questions come on in take us to lunch uh, you know not take us to lunch we you know we we brought people we brought people into our office and you know sat everybody down with the same process right. Right. and said, you know, here's here's what the process is, here's the site that you're looking at, and here are the challenges that may come in. You know, everyone had their own types of questions, and everyone came at it from their own angles. There are people that came at it from the angle of, we're a business person that has the money to get into this bi- this new and burgeoning business, and we have people that came into it that we've been doing cannabis-related industry for the last 20 years, and we want to do it in Merced. So, right. you know, they have very different questions in terms of how much they've dealt with the process. Some of the business people, they understood city process very well, but didn't understand the cannabis business as well. The cannabis people obviously knew exactly what they were doing when it comes to you know their markets and their distribution and how things were going to work for them, but they didn't know how to navigate the city process as well. So we helped them with that more. Yeah, you know, one thing I have to talk, Scott, I don't know if you were, I think, Marijuana kind of predated you uh, in, in uh, no, Atwater. No, I, I worked on the ordinance there, actually. In, in Atwater. That's and, and, and as you know, in Atwater, they went with uh, development agreements. Right. And we went with uh, well, the 218 process or uh, where we uh, had a sales tax. Well, it wasn't even the 218. It actually was on the ballot. It was on the yeah, ballot. Yeah, we had right. a sales tax that we imposed on these folks, right. 3 4%. A use tax, right. Use tax. Right. And whether you were manufacturing, as you mentioned, or retail sales, blah, blah, blah. Correct. But Atwater, as you know, uh, recently moved off of the development agreement. They were guaranteed in the agreement f- uh, 5% of gross revenue or 15000 whichever was more. First month, first guy couldn't make it, uh, came in, the uh, council voted to just reduce it to a straight five across the board forever. Uh, second and third year, we're going to be increasing amounts. That's gone. Right. Um, is that the problem with the developer agreement? Is it's it's hard to enforce, or is it? In other words, the sales tax. If we have people that come to us in Merced and say, "I can't pay the tax," hey, that's between you and the state, right? Well, not exactly. There is some flexibility in the measure for the council to set the rates. So, okay. So there's a range that was approved. But we set a rate already. We, we, there's a range approved, and they set an initial rate. Now, they can go by resolution, I believe, and go back and change it if they should want to. And that would apply to everybody. That applies to everybody. Okay. That's correct. And Were so, these developer agreements, even though they negotiated with the first guy to reduce his right. rate, wouldn't you think the others would come in line and I, say, I would imagine so. Reduce me too, and the, right. you know, just out of fairness? I would imagine so. And, and, and I guess why I bring that up is do you see the industry we don't want it too saturated where we don't get the income right now we have fresno going to open up 14 atwater has god only knows we have four or five do, do you guys too early to tell huh 
It really is. The market is changing so rapidly, not just uh, in terms of internally, but the state regulations on it have changed almost as fast as the ADUs that we talked about earlier. Um, in the middle of our process that we were doing for the cannabis uh, ordinance, it changed and we had to rework everything on a dime. We had to have right. extra meetings just to make sure we met everything that the state's needs changed. So it really is a tumultuous time. It's something, you know, the likes of which we haven't seen maybe more than a couple of times in industries around the country. So and Casey, the, the big issues I think that face a lot of the cannabis businesses aren't really so much about local tax rates or local zoning, land use issues. A lot of it's about banking. Mm-hmm. It's really about banking. It's about yeah. how do they get acquisition to capital to do things as opposed to all their own financial commitment into it. And then how do they pay their bills? How does that happen? Well, I mean, I mean we talked to, I think Venus was worried about people coming down with bags of cash. Because, and that's happened. Yeah. Yes. Well, it has to because they can't federally <laughs> right. deposit it. So it right. kind of makes you wonder where they're, they're not using the bank of Casey. They've I also used credit cards and checks and money deposits, all those things. And, and so the banking, I think, is, is is the issue. And because of the cash on site, that's always been the concern about safety, I think is less about cannabis safety uh, product-wise, more about cash safety at the facility for a while they hold it. You know, I think that all of these businesses, businesses of vice, I call them, right. uh, cigarettes, alcohol, tobacco, whatever you want, I think that they're kind of regulated the same. Do you see that, a little bit of similarity in that? No, these are, these are very different regulations, very different regulations. Um, we actually have a lot of conversation about this internally. You know, um, mean like with liquor stores versus weed stores. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. I mean, if the state wanted to do this in a way, now keep in mind the state had Prop 64, and basically local agencies decided by their voters if they wanted to have this or not, and that's mm-hmm. where the premise is, right? Right. But contrast that to alcohol sales, there you, which is I a am. much different process, right? Mm-hmm. So. We're having to adopt all these standards for where cannabis businesses can go. We're doing the best, looking at other models, what we think is right. The state for, for liquor is much different. You, you look at the census track, you decide what, what level is appropriate, how many should you have, and then you have saturation. Do you have too many? If you have too many, you can still have it, but you have to go through a different process. Well, to do we've it, right? gone through that process. We don't have you, that. you guys both know that, that we have a lot of variances downtown because we do have too many, right. I guess, more than whatever the average number of liquor stores. And so we have to get those variances, which, again, I think we see some problems, uh, you know, with the alcohol consumption and some of the homeless issues. Think about this, too. From a liquor license standpoint, they can be transferred between people, right? We Mm -hmm. do not allow that for cannabis. We are going to look at that, or we actually have worked to have language now to kind of facilitate a process. Previously, you couldn't have that. It's like it was a location was set and the operator was set. We do at least now through our update have a process to look at that. So if somebody wants to buy a business, they can buy an existing cannabis business and take it over. Is that what you're talking about? It's it's a complicated. You're asking a complicated question. You want right. a simple answer, I'm sure. Um, you could manage a change in ownership, but all the new owners would still be subject to background checks, sure. right. the same way the original process went through. Mm-hmm. Um, but you couldn't get an you couldn't have someone buy it and then move the location, for no. example, because the right. location was set through the public hearings, and that's something that you know people had the opportunity to come out and speak their mind about and to know about before it went through. So you couldn't just have someone buy a license and then move it wherever they wanted. That but they could operate it. And, and this is, are we seeing maybe some consolidation in the industry where one operator maybe wants to take over a, f- a failing or a fledging business? And We've only had two open so far, so we don't have any failing or fledglings that are, that are, are going to be an issue for that. But You saw that in Sacramento, though. Is that what happens? Yes. Well, I'll tell you, the one over there, uh, and just from driving by, the one over there by, uh, by Walmart at the old Bianchi's, my word, just busy, busy, busy. Can't right. wait to see what the tax revenue is 
is when it comes in. Let's talk about taco trucks. Okay. The taco truck scene. <laughs> I was down in Los Angeles about a year ago, and it, at night it just changes. The trucks come out on the street. They put out the, 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 the seating and the, the lights, and right. it's just a festive atmosphere. Health department gave up. They said, look, let's work with them and not fight them. A small fee. Uh, there was a taco truck on the agenda Wednesday night in North Merced, which perked my interest because we don't normally see them. There's uh, a few, yeah. A few. Right. Maybe right. maybe some outlaw trucks. I don't know. Of course, you got Vinny with Bella Luna, that beautiful truck. Are we going to see more taco trucks? Do you guys uh, see that on the horizon? You, you know, it's interesting you bring the, you asked the question. I think we've seen more applications. I want to say we're probably maybe one a month mm-hmm. lately. Now, I don't know if it's because they're planning now to get ahead of the season. I'm not sure. But uh, we did also have an interesting thing. Uh, you talked about cannabis and dispensaries. Yeah. Uh, on Main Street, we actually had a request for like a taco truck location where you have multiple multiple vendors on one site, which sure. is a little, a little unique for us. It actually shares the parking lot with a, a dis, uh, dispensary, dispensary, Infinity, next door. Hand in hand. What can I say? You know, so, you, you see that out at Castle. I think the county did that with Blaker Brewing. Yes. And, and they have like a, a circle of uh, food trucks that they're going to eventually have. Right. Well, well, I, I just thought that was uh, uh, that was really interesting. God, there was one other question I was going to ask you in regards to the dispensaries. Oh, I know what it was. I thought most of them had to be open by October. Specifically, um, there. I don't know that we put a specific deadline. On I thought there any. was a year after they were granted their conditional. Well, it's use. a year review a after review. the after the permit was issued. So, so my question is: You said there's two out of the five mm-hmm. open. When are the other three going to open? Well, they're all experiencing various levels of problems after the permitting stage. So, as, as not we talked with about, you guys, no, because you guys are easy to deal with. Well, I think we're easy to deal with. I, I don't know. I, I sense some sarcasm. That's strange. No, I think you are too. So, like you talked about this process. My gosh, I mean. Well, here's some of the issues they face: permitting at the state. Okay. If they change owners, then that requires a lot more state approval or changing names uh-huh. of the businesses. That's been an issue. One thing that, that's come up often is utilities. They found that they need more power for the HVAC, for the air purification systems, than they originally thought they would. We require a pretty robust HVAC component. So they're having to upgrade, because I'm an electrical contractor, yes. so they have to upgrade the power, the service to the buildings yeah. in some cases? And they're, wow. and they're relied upon PG&E or in some cases MID oh, and the timing deal. for that. That's big a big money. deal. And it's big money. Yeah. So, oh, trust me. Uh, and even, even if they have the money to do it, there are some times where if you're dealing with someone like PG&E, that's a big ponderous entity that you can only get you on the schedule at a certain period in time. So you may have to wait months for something you're ready to do right now. Do you encourage them to go green? Do I encourage them to go green? Is that a pun? <laughs> I think I've heard all of the green puns. Come so on, you made some puns about head cheese here. So I had to make... <laughs> okay, so keep in mind, too, that, that there were two uh, applications or permits that were in flux with appeals, and so that took a much longer time to work those through the process. Yeah, there was some pretty acrimonious testimony, because I was there, and you were kind of in the middle of that, and you know they tried to, I don't know, put you on the spot, but they were really uh, criticizing the uh, GIS system or whatever, you know, as the crow right. flies, you know, do we stretch a tape across the rooftops? At literally what fourteen feet, six feet? It was it was? I know you know digits. the footage. Oh, you, I bet you have it in his mind. Fourteen, fourteen, fourteen. <laughs> no, I know that it it had to be nuts to you. I mean, really. But oh, when want, you're 
I want to make sure everybody follows the rules and that right. everything is done pr- appropriately. I was, you know, I had to give that presentation a number of times back and forth through city council and the planning commission. I was happy to do it because I want to make sure everyone is comfortable with the process once we get through it. Mm-hmm. There's no sense in rushing through a process and getting something wrong and then somebody opens up and then this comes out. Yeah. And then it's a huge issue. I would much rather do it at that level before any kind of decision has been made, make sure everything is done right, make sure everything is done exactly as the code requires. And at the end of the day, I think we got one of the best results we could have. We, no, got, we, got, the, we got the right people in the right place. And I think we're going to have good businesses. It's just going to take them a little bit longer to get in place because literally a year after we issued the first permits, we were still dealing with that process. So they're behind because they couldn't get through some of their – you can't get a certificate of occupancy for a building for a cannabis use if you don't have the planning approval in right. terms of the cannabis permit. Mm-hmm. So they had to wait until those were done before they could get certificates of occupancy, which pushes their building times back, which means now we're in a wet season. So it's harder to do the building renovations that they need to do that were part of their project so some of it really just falls down to there's a lot of process that has to be gone through and some people got luckier in terms of they didn't have those issues and they don't have to deal with the wet season and their maybe their building was easier to build and some people have to deal with that still well i i'm uh i'm glad to see that uh you know we got it over the hurdle and go ahead. Well, one thing I wanted to bring up is, you know, we talk about kind of the operations and the tax and all that, and that's great. But, you know, the, the other reality is they're actually creating jobs. Mm-hmm. You know, I've been to the credit union and standing behind a gentleman who has a sweatshirt on from local dis- you know, yeah. local facilities. So uh-huh. there's people getting paid. He's here to cash his paycheck, oh, right? Nice. And, you know, I see him shopping in the mall on downtown. So uh, we know that each one is creating like 15, 20 jobs. Th- those are for retail locations. And that doesn't include the other types of businesses, the cultivation, manufacturing, distribution, which will have its own or the, or the labs. But think about it. Those are new facilities that were never here before. And probably out the door today, we have 30 new jobs in the community. No, I, Scott, you're preaching to the choir, uh, whether it's cannabis or hemp. And uh, believe yeah. me, I've been very critical of the county and their uh, moratorium on hemp. They've since moved off that a little bit, but still uh, walking very cautiously and I think things that are legal we need to embrace. Right. That's economic development. That directly affects you you guys. And I think hemp is something that we're still trying to, to understand better going forward mm-hmm. because we actually have a lot of interest from people who would like to do hemp production mm-hmm. yes. or cultivation, and we're working through all that right now. Well, it's, it's frustrating to see our own Merced College to have to go to Madera to grow test plots because the city of Mer- the county of Merced would not allow it. But Again, I know that uh, change comes slowly. I'll, I'll be the first to admit I'm having a, uh, a growing pains with these new approvals of projects and how they're viewed, what can and cannot be looked at. And that, that's why I wanted to bring you in, both of you in today, Michael Wren, the uh, principal planner, and uh, Scott McBride, the head of planning, the head of all the divisions. And I hope to bring you in again maybe after the first of the year, after some of these laws kind of gel. And, right. And, and any other projects that we should know about? Something You got another Yosemite Crossings in your back pocket? I don't think I have anything quite as big as Yosemite Crossings That's in my a back beautiful pocket. one, folks. That's, that's really going to change the shape. And, of course, you're working on the, uh, the B Street project. Any idea when we're going to break ground and start spending that $52 million, get that electric bus up? You're going to see some groundbreaking in the springtime. I don't know if it's March, April, May, but they're going to be on a pretty aggressive schedule, and we're trying to get the pieces together now, the last pieces for the financing, and they're going to want to go pretty quickly. You'll, you'll probably be about the same time frame for the, the project at 13th and K. That's the Gateway Terrace 2. Uh, they're going to be moving very quickly. And one final project, my good buddy Bruce, Bruce the Spruce Metcalf over there, the Merced Rescue Mission. Mm-hmm. 
his project on Cone Avenue. Is the city involved in that a little bit? That's actually in the county. Mm-hmm. They're working with the county on a conditional use permit. Right. We're aware of it. We've kind of had a chance to, to review it and, and provide some, some feedback. We will provide uh, sewer and water. There's a, the, a district set up out there to, to provide those services. So we wish them the luck. Bruce is one of our partners, too, for housing. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it's a well-needed project. Well, when we talk about affordable housing. Right. Bruce is able to do that without using prevailing wage, I believe. I'm not sure the strings on the money, but it's good to see private folks, nonprofits like that, helping with, with the inventory that way. Anything you want to say, Mike, on the way Michael, on the way out? Uh, does the Bank of Casey offer debit cards? Yeah, no, we're going to, hey, trust me, if the Bank of Casey gets that business, we're going to offer all kinds of, you're going to see a toaster like you never saw. Look, we've had in studio, I guess I better play some music to go out because that's, what we do here on Citizen Watch every Saturday morning. We've had an hour and a half with them. Couldn't believe we could fill it all in, but uh, developmental services is really interesting. Again, we didn't go into all the projects, you know, why the El Capitan's being torn down twice. But uh, what are you holding up? All the things? This is a map, and this map shows a dot everywhere. It's not just North Merced, it's east, south, west. And what are all those dots? Projects? Things that are going on? Absolutely. It's amazing. Well, again, you know, uh, the big victory lap, 4,000 and some odd permits. It's over 4,000. And you guys have really been busy. You've definitely earned your your pay. Definitely earned your pay. You guys have done a great job. One of the, you know, I think you're pretty uh, pretty well liked in the development community, too. The developer made some very nice comments oh, about about working with the city staff, not only at the meeting but uh, during the meeting. Uh, the Yosemite, what is the Yosemite Crossings Yosemite Partners? Crossings. I guess. Anyway, great project. So many great things happening in Merced, City on the Rise, and these two guys are uh, well. They're at the top. They approve it. If it doesn't, if they don't approve it, it doesn't get built, right? That's right. All right. Well, thanks for coming in. <laughs> thanks for having us. Thank you, Casey. All right. We'll see you next week, folks. Bye bye.